This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dan Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you today? I'm good. And also Hugh Syme. How's it going, Hugh? It's going well. Thank you, Andrew. Good, good. Our guest today is Paul Gilbert. Paul is an American hard rock and heavy metal guitarist, co-founder of the internationally successful band Mr. Big. He was also a member of Racer X, with whom he released several albums. In 96, Paul launched a solo career for which he's released many solo albums and uh, featured many uh, numerous collaborations and guest appearances over the years on other musicians' albums as well. Gilbert has been voted fourth best on Guitar One Magazine's Top 10 Greatest Guitar Shredders of All Time. That's that's an honor. He was also ranked yeah. Guitar World's 50 Fastest Guitarist of All Time. And we're going to talk to him about his career and also his latest release, Twas. Uh, please welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, Paul Gilbert. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Do you guys remember the show Dance Fever? Yeah. Yeah. It was on right before Solid Gold. Yeah. Because, yeah. I, you know, sometimes a band that I would like would be on Solid Gold. So I would tune in, you know, while the credits are rolling on Dance Fever. and some person named Paul Gilbert was the producer of Dance Fever. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to start that rumor that I was the producer of Dance Fever. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought that's what we were going to talk about today. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Paul, man, great to have you on today. Thanks for being here. I'd like to start out by, uh, I, I did a in-depth listen to your Christmas project, Twas, last night. And wow, man, Christmas records usually don't thrill me very much. <laughs> but you put some effort into this thing. Number one, huge guitar sound in different ways on different songs, of course, and even different sections of the different songs. But the arrangements, I just want to run through a few of these and mention this for our listeners. You guys really need to hear this. If you want to hear some guitar shredding and some exciting, totally different versions of Christmas tunes that I've never heard anything like this. So first of all, Frosty, the snowman, I mean, you, you keep going through these different changes. It starts, you know, you're shredding guitar solo and then there's, it goes into a ballad kind of feel. And then the seven, four funky thing, which is really cool. And then just a hard shuffle at the end. Great stuff. And I want to, I'm going to ask you more about each one of these as we go. But way to go on these arrangements. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer wouldn't have been one I would have picked to do. But, dude, it's a real cool kind of 70s fusion thing at the top. And then you guys go into the halftime shuffle, kind of a Bernard Purdy kind of groove on the drums. 
And then you go into the 6-8 Carol of the Bells bit, and then back to the halftime shuffle, then back to the fusion thing. You guys must have sat around and worked on these arrangements for a long time. I don't know if the band sat around or you figured it out or what, but man. And my favorite one, personally, was We Wish You a Merry Christmas. I thought I was listening to uh, a Zappa tune from about 1973 there. Um, you know, the, the, when he, the, uh, overnight sensation period of stuff, very, very cool, man. Last, but of course not least the three strings for Christmas. And I, I was reading about your three string guitar and I got to say, it's kind of Link Ray meets Jeff's boogie by the Yardbirds, And, <laughs> but at the beginning in the end, the fastest 64th note triplets I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I'm going like, really? I'm going to have to hear that again. I kept listening to it. Could you just explain, just first off, what is this? Do you have that guitar there with you? Yeah, let me let me grab it. It's it's a double neck. It's a it's a it's a it's a nine string guitar, really, because I've got a six on the bottom, and okay. three on the top, and the the three on the top was the inspiration for the song Three Strings for Christmas" because I've just got three strings. Now they're they're, they're tuned in in octaves. So I got a high E, a middle E, and a low E. And okay. it's, it, this is this is an Ibanez micro, which is like a really short scale neck, so you can reach anything. And by coincidence, uh, this is this is where where like dumb things are really useful because the uh, the dots, you know, the, 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 on the, the fret markers. Sure. If you only play on the dots, you get like a like an A mixolydian scale. You know, so, okay, and, and sure. so I just did that lick. Or something. Let me put a better sound on. Hold on. <laughs> right. So that's, that's I just playing on the dots. Wow. But I, I but I couldn't do that on a regular guitar, so I I was very I was very thankful for my three string guitar. So I, in, in, on, in, in love and honor of this instrument, I wrote three strings for Christmas. Wow. What Maybe cool someday I'll have all six. That's awesome. I can't resist the alternative title of we three strings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Hey, <laughs> that can be the Christmas comedy uh, release. Well, it is a totally unique Christmas project. And killer playing all around, everybody in the band, ridiculous, meticulous arrangements. Well, thank you for the compliment. It was, it, I, I was very much aided by the band because I, I got a blues rhythm section, got a great blues drummer, uh, Jimmy Bott, who's played with the Fabulous Thunderbirds before, uh, amazing blue, blues bass player, Tim Blakely, who, who toured with me on the last tour. And then I got uh, like uh, legendary jazz and, and uh jazz rhythms or jazz guitar player and piano player to work out the chords and i you know i've, I've been to school i can i can kind of work out jazz chords if you give me enough time sure but yeah. i never but i never have enough time so i i, I thought i'm gonna hire some professionals and I'd, i would come in and i'd say like okay here's the barbara streisand version you know can you figure out the chords and, and then they'd chart it out and I'd listen. And I'd go like, that's it. Okay. And, and then, yeah. you oh, know, cool. then, I, then I just play the, 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 the melody on top and it makes me sound like I know what I'm doing. Well, you definitely know what you're doing. <laughs> Your candor is refreshing, man. It was, it was fun to go back and research 
the, 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 the versions of the Christmas songs that, that I really dug. And, and I found yeah. like Nat King Cole is my favorite. Yeah. Sure. Marshall orchestral yeah. Rain, really, you know, somebody knew what they were doing because it, yeah. you know, it's a huge orchestra and all these background vocals. And, you know, Nat's singing great. Who was his orchestra? Was it like a Nelson Riddle or a. Well, that, that's the problem with, with, with the Spotify is, is, you know, either either I'm too dumb to find the credits or they're not there in the first place. So I don't, I don't know who, who did any of the who, get, who, who did that stuff. But uh, whoever did, they, they were they were something else. They're, they're sure. really, really great recordings. So I'd, I'd, I'd go, and again, I'd, I would play those for the, the jazz guys that I hired and say, you know, can we can you write some charts? And then and then they would, you know, they gave me such beautiful stuff to play over. And then, of course, you know, the stuff you mentioned, like. Um, uh, like Rudolph, my challenge for Rudolph w was I didn't want to play da 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 da. Yeah, that like had a very sad because that melody that that's rough. It's hard know? to rock out on on that yeah. melody. So, so I, I took you know it's going like and then it comes the dreaded. I thought, oh, I can't, I can't, I got to find something else to do there. So <laughs> I, I thought, well, I'll take those notes on, on one string and on the next string, I'll find the same note. So I can just sort of squeeze one more in and then just make it like a snarling dog. <laughs> so I would just put like, you know, <laughs> that put some anger into it that you wouldn't expect and then the last one i just completely went, went, went crazy that's angry, fabulous angry man. rudolph i love that that's great it was nelson riddle incidentally i got i gotta i gotta research nelson riddle then yeah he kind of knew what he was doing all those frank sinatra records in the 60s too oh yeah well, i love sinatra and count basie it might as well be swing which I think was Quincy Jones, but those, those were guys that like knew how to write. Yeah. You know, they had that they had to. And really that, that was kind of the thing on this record was the first time I've ever written charts, oh, I, which was scary. Cause I mean, again, I went, I went to school. I sort of knew what a chord symbol is, you know, and you know, the, you know, how to write us like a second, first ending. I, I knew that all the guys in my band knew how to read. And when you, it, it, we really hardly spent any time there was, you know, we hardly any rehearsal or anything. So, and we were recording two songs a day, you know, I had to be home by five for dinner. You know? So, um, you know, to, to come up with a check and some of the, some of the things I came up with, like the, what was the one, uh, uh well, the weather outside is right. And I was doing like this weird version of a six, nine chord and it augmented. And you know th those chords are odd, but I knew that you know for a jazz guy it's nothing. So, but you have to write them down, right? And so you know I I, I learned a lot about chart writing because because I had you know I actually did some. <laughs> well, very cool. When did the idea come to you to want to do a Christmas album? Has this been a long process or? Oh, the the idea for the Christmas album? Yeah, to do it. Is it something you've been working on for a while, or is this the the, the thing that was fun was that. I was planning it, like researching, planning, listening to all to just find my favorite versions and what, what songs I wanted to do in the summertime. <laughs> so it was, and it was like a heat wave going on in Portland and, and, and uh, I'm, I'm walking down the street going, let it snow, let it snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and it was actually a wonderful rebellious feeling you know knowing that i'm the only person around who's got all these christmas Songs music in, in my head yeah. and it's you know the dead of summer and so uh, that made me enjoy it all the more somehow but uh, i suppose the other one of the other inspirations was i'd been to a christmas party in japan uh you know a bunch of my wife's friends they were actually the jazz musicians and uh, th there was piano there and, and everybody it, it seems you know probably, it seems like everybody in japan couldn't read music and i i'm the horrible reader so they, they had like the score of rudolph and everybody's sitting down playing and, and there was a little acoustic guitar there so i picked it up and i thought rudolph you know i can handle it you know so I, and then the chords so that's okay you know <laughs> But then uh, it came time for the solo, and I'm like, you know, this is, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and I, you know, I'm going like, you know, and I, I mangled it. It was horrible. It was the most humiliating <laughs> thing to, you know, it's like if I had a kazoo, I could have done it, <laughs> but because I, I know the melody, but I hadn't, I, I wasn't a melody guitar player. I was like a ripping through scales guitar player. So if you would have said, okay, rip in C, you know, okay, then you know, you know, like that I can handle, but to just play, you know, that I couldn't find it. And it, 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 it hurt my heart. It, it was damaging to my soul to, to, to fail on, on Rudolph. And so I thought someday I'm going to come back and, and I'm going to do Rudolph right. And, uh, so, well, you sure did, <laughs> <laughs> and not just Rudolph, but did, but to develop the ability to play guitar as well as I could if I had a kazoo, and that's that's as, as silly as that sounds. That that's that's a that that's to me it's a really a, a tall mountain to climb because the kazoo is so intuitive. You know, you're not going to make a mistake. You're not going to play a note that you didn't mean on the kazoo and on guitar that it's, it's a dangerous instrument for that. You know, even if a lot of times I'll play like a note that's just fine and everybody, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but it wasn't the one that I meant. There's a process during piano lessons that I think every teacher should teach. And I was lucky enough to have, it's called solfege. And what it means is you're supposed to hear the note in your head before you play it. So you don't become mm. one of those conservatory players that just sees the fly shit on the page and, and and intrinsically just kind of play it, you know, without thought to what you're playing. Yeah. And that it takes time because it, it means sight reading, but hearing it in your head before you play it. So I think that's kind of what you unwittingly did. You, yeah. You, yeah. I, I call it the inner melodic generator. And the scary thing is that sometimes you listen to what's going on in your inner melodic generator and it's silence. Like it has, it, it's not giving uh, you anything. And well, you have to kind of be okay with that initially and go like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll, I've got time. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll wait, you know, eventually if I just keep waiting, something will come out. And then the other thing, a lot of times what will come out, you know, is, is not something that you even know how to play. And then not because it's complicated, just because it's not, not in your vocabulary yet. Yeah. Sure. That's a great sure. skill to build. And it just, it just feels so good. You know, when you, when you can make that connection in real time, like I'm actually playing what I'm hearing in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, that's like giving music a big hug, you know, that, that really feels nice. Yeah. On any instrument, that's true for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the big moment, especially right the tuba. 
<laughs> I've got a friend of mine that plays tuba. He would probably say, yes, that's true. And I have a friend who has an electric kazoo, by the way. Well, I, I did buy an electric one and plugged it into a Marshall. Oh, nice. I composed some solos that way because I thought, okay, you know. Did you really? Let's see what the intermelodic generator really has to say. <laughs> and I you know, did about 10 takes of kazoo and then went back and learned it on guitar. Wow. Oh, that's cool. That's an unusual uh, approach, but hey. I guess if you, had, if you have the range, you could almost affect the kazoo signal enough to actually say, well, we don't need guitar. One of the funniest yeah. things, is I, I was doing a, a jam at the NAMM show years ago, and it was with all like the legendary cats on, on stage. It was, it was Steve Vai, Joe Cetriani, uh Sean Lane. I don't know if you heard of Sean Lane, but he was there. Uh, Andy Timmons. Alex School and all these Ibanez endorses, like seven of us. And, you know, everybody's playing rhythm guitar at full volume and you can't hear anything. And so <laughs> as it's coming up to my turn, I'm thinking like, nobody's going to hear what I play because, every, you know, there's just so much rhythm guitars. In, and so it doesn't really matter. I thought what matters is that it looks good because there's a lot of yeah. photographers in the front row. And, and so mm. this is a, a chance for really good photo op. So actually, I, I, even before we played, I, I suspected that would happen. So I, I re-drilled the strap bolt on my guitar. So I, so I, I came out of stage playing left-handed. And I can't play left-handed, but it doesn't matter. There's six other guys playing. <laughs> I turned my volume down. I'm just like playing air guitar, pretending that I'm playing. <laughs> and then as the solo comes up to me, I started to realize, you know what, the sound engineer it's actually got it together. You know, I could, I could, you could, I could hear it in the front, you know, he's, he's, he's making it work. And so, and this, you know, again, I, I had planned on, on just such an occasion. So I thought I'm just going to turn the volume up. I had like two distortion pedals up all the way. And I sang through the pickup, like a big electric kazoo. And everybody thought I was playing left-handed with my teeth. <laughs> nice. And the people on stage, you know, they, they knew what I was doing, really. So they're cracking up. But and the photos were amazing. That's, That's great. great. <laughs> I was reading about your early years yesterday. Can, can you tell us that, share that story with us about this time in 1977, what was going on with you? December of 77. Well, that was... Uh, Let's see. I mean, it was probably around the time that I got my Les Paul for Christmas. It was, it was, it was I'd been playing acoustic for a couple of years and uh, I was a big Jimmy Page fan. And, and, you know, I didn't know anything about guitars or brands. You know, I, I think I'd, I'd seen like, you know, the Gibson logo, but I, I didn't know that there were different models or anything. And my uncle, who was really, uh, you know, pro guitar player at the time, uh, you know, playing in, in in, in big local bands in Chicago, he came to visit me in Pennsylvania and he found this Les Paul in the paper for, for 300 bucks. And I'd, I'd saved up like 150 for mowing lawns. And, and my, and my parents said, well, we can, we can kick in the other 150, but that's our whole budget. You know, we, we, we if you, if we do that, if you get the guitar, no toys. <laughs> and I was still like, well, I kind of wanted some GI Joes and Legos and, you know, Maybe a stretch Armstrong, you know, like, and, yeah. but, I, but I thought like, this is going to be like my rite of passage into adulthood. I think I'm ready yeah. to forego the toys because, you know, I'm going to get a real toy, you know, and, and I, 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 I did, I just knew it was a Gibson didn't say anything on the little trust rod plate. So I just thought like, okay, it's just regular Gibson. What were you playing up to that point? I just, I had a Stella acoustic you know, that, that a friend had given us it, you know, it was, okay. it actually was it, the good thing about the Stella was it was short scale. Uh, 
you know, it was, you know, it's good. I was, I was, although I was a tall nine-year-old, you know, I was, I was still nine, so you know, I could reach stuff. You know, this is my first electric, and you know, it turned out it was the Les Paul Custom, which is pretty good guitar. Sure. <laughs> and and I, I was blown away. Like, I can't believe I have this thing. And I didn't have an amp, so I just plugged into it my cassette player and cranked the levels all the way up, and the VU meters would be like, Brrr! and it was this <laughs> horrible, buzzy bumblebee sound, but it was something. Yeah. And so that was, uh, that was, that was amazing. And I still, I had yet to discover the downstroke and I was still like only doing upstrokes. I only knew about the six string, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't, I don't think I even knew how to tune. I just, you know, I finally took some lessons. The guy showed me a chord and some downstrokes and then I was on my way. Sure. So that's your first guitar. What about, what was your first concert that you went to as a fan? Oh, well, my, my parents took me to see Roy Buchanan when I was about five. Oh, wow. Nice. Great guitar yeah. player. Yeah. yeah. And, and I remember being confused because he, he, he was on the side of the stage and the singer was in the middle. And I thought, well, they should call, you know, whoever the singer is, that, that should be who they call the band. Because Roy, he wouldn't even look at the audience. He was just like kind of on, on the side, you know, looking at his feet. It was like, he, I think he invented shoegaze. And then uh, after that was Dr. Hook. And that was, wasn't because of the big Dr. Hook fan, but just because they played in the local theater. And after that, the first first one I saw as you know that I wanted to go to was uh, Van Halen, their first headlining tour in 1979. Ah, and that was that was un unbelievable. I, I, you couldn't tell which side of the stage Eddie was on because him and Michael Anthony were just running <laughs> constantly. There, there was it was like a, like the Boston Marathon or something. They're just you know back and forth, you know, singing into each other's mics the entire time. It was, it was before video screens. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, sure. in order to in order to have a visual impact, you had to jump around. Right. You know, right. certainly David Lee Roth was, was, was doing his share of that. And, you know, Alex Lightman's uh, guitar or his drums on fire. But really, the thing was, you know, amongst all that, Eddie was playing, you know, just ridiculously inspiring guitar. You know, right. Effortless. No question. Yeah. Where was wow. where was that show at? That was at Stanley Theater in, 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 in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Okay, cool. Wow. And, I, and so many shows I saw at the Stanley, uh, you know, the Pat Travers band with Pat Thrall. No, oh, great band. Playing, playing yeah. second guitar was, was, was amazing. Yeah. You know, seeing Cheap Trick on the Dream Police tour. Uh, Randy Rhodes with Ozzy on the, on the first Blizzard of Oz tour. You know, Def Leppard when they still had, you know, drummer had both his yeah. arms and they did you know, the two original guitar players, Pete Willis and Steve Clark. So I really felt fortunate. And, you know, not, not that well known but blew me away saxon oh yeah oh, of course. man saxon had a groove you know they they, they they did the heavy metal shuffle you know the, the, right. it was just so heavy you know and uh so, so those those shows definitely left their mark i forgot about saxon yeah, yeah i did too i can still see their logo when you say their name in, in my head so anyway they must have had a good logo well, the best logo is Angel, because you can turn it upside down, it's the same. But I never saw Angel. I saw those guys. Oh, yeah. right on. Yeah, I saw them in 70. No, I saw them in 81 with Humble Pie, uh, Mahogany Rush, oh, my and, Mother's and Mother's Finest. Yeah. Mm. Nice. So, got to see Steve Marriott holler some mm, nice. that night. Before you got on, Paul, Hugh had mentioned... Uh, you guys tour with Rush because he's done all their artwork for all those years. Were you guys like direct support for one of the Rush tours? Yeah. Oh, that was that was um, that was amazing to, to open for Getty, Alex, and Neil. Mm. Yeah, man. 
and uh, I, I took all my vinyl and, and, and had them sign my Hemispheres record. <laughs> Great. That's awesome. That was the Presto tour, right? Presto tour and, and a little bit of Rolled Bones. Yeah, cool. Mm. That was around the time that I sort of discovered who you were and I started seeing your album covers. And without question, there was a nice sense of improbability and whimsy that you guys shared with Rush. I mean, leaning lean into it was, when I saw that, I thought, yeah, I would have done that. <laughs> you know, that's that. <laughs> And, and the same with you know, the Hey Man was like completely in that sort of literal glib <laughs> um, approach to imagery, you know, and Mr. You know, uh, actual size, what is it? Actual size, you know, all those uh, renderings were absolutely playing to, they were right where, where I live. You know, I love the covers that you guys did. Oh, cool. Were you involved in that? Pat, the drummer used to go to the library before the internet. Yeah. So, so he would, he would go to uh, Pat Torpy, the drummer, Mr. B would go to the library yeah. And just go through the stock photos and, and until, and, they, and actually, you could, since it was a library, you could take them out. So he'd bring them to the studio and we'd go through them and, and, and we'd just sort of, it, you know, sort of caption them like, ah, bump ahead, ha ha, you know, and, and, uh, you know, until we found one that, that, that kind of spoke to us. Yeah. yeah. Into it one with the train was actually, we were, um, we we're eating at a restaurant that was hanging on the wall. Yeah. It's a and, famous photo. Yeah. We were, we were searching for an album, you know, album cover. We kind of looked over the, what about that? Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Uh, how how much did the album art matter to you as a, as a consumer when you were young and you were, or even now when you go to uh, to? I'm trying to think. I remember being embarrassed by some of them. Like I I, I really wanted to get the the, the first uh, the Kiss Alive. Oh yeah, but I didn't mm. any, want anybody to see it. Like like uh, you know, sometimes when you go to the record shop, you'd you'd buy like a cool like something that you know the, the cashier would think was cool. And then yeah. you can put your kiss album on the bottom, like, yeah, this is for my, this is for my sister. And, you, and yeah. then you get it like, oh, phew, I got it. You know, I got it past the, the, the evil eye of the cashier. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I got to go to my next interview. So it was great talking to you guys. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it. Right on. Right. Have a great Thank one. You, Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Paul. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.